Hey, if you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and let's go to Genesis chapter 50. We're finishing up this very short series on the life of Joseph. Three, three Sundays is not near enough, but it's what God gave us. And so we will not complain. We will take what we've been given and go forward. The, the whole premise of this is that God is at work. Please understand that God's plan for your life brings Him glory. And those are not two exclusive things that are separated from each other. God is glorified as He fulfills His plan for our lives. When we first started the series talking about the fact that God, God is at work in our challenges. And we saw the challenges of Joseph in chapter 37 and following as his brother sold him into slavery, as he was arrested unjustly and, and imprisoned. We also saw where God is at work in our successes. We talked about that last week as He becomes one of the most powerful, powerful men in the world. Now today, we're going to look at uh, what some consider an obscure passage. It, it screams out at me. I've been excited to preach this, this every every uh, service, and I'd like to preach it a few more times because I keep seeing more stuff that I want to talk about, but we don't have time. But th- there's this, this, this ending here where it reminds us how God is at work in the world. Friends, here's what you, you've got to ask yourself. Am I joining God in what He's doing in the world? The question is not, is God joining me? The question is, am I joining God in what He is doing in the world? How many of you guys have been watching a little uh, NCAA basketball? A little bit? Uh, Maybe too much? Let me tell you what I don't think has happened on any winning team. I don't think there's been a winning team that showed up and the coach said, hey guys, I don't have a plan. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out on the court, and I want you to do whatever makes you happy. And if you're happy, I'm happy. And if you ever worry, you know, if you're out there and you're just thinking, am I not happy enough, just look over at me, and I'll just give you a thumbs up. And then we'll be successful. Uh, I can assure you, no one is successful that functions that way. Can I tell you something? God has not sent us in the world to do whatever makes us happy. God has a plan. Just as a coach has a plan for the team and each individual player, so God has a plan for the entire world and each individual life. The good news is, is, is that we don't, have to, we don't have to go out there and figure out the plan and say, hey, God, bless this. All we have to do is trust who God is and follow in behind Him and trust His plan. Now, sometimes when, you do, when you're doing that, know it can, it can appear to be out of control. God is sovereign. He has power beyond what we can understand. He is at work in your challenge. He's at work in your success. He's at work in your world. But sometimes it's like a tapestry. We just see the back end of it. It looks like this. It looks like a mess. Sometimes your life just looks like a mess. It's not what it looks like to God. See, on the front end, the, the, the part that God sees, it's a masterpiece. It's a crown of glory that He has prepared for Himself through the lives of His people. And what we have to trust and believe and to know is that we're one of those strings tied together under the sovereignty of God, producing a picture that's according to the plan that God has designed for us and for this world. And all we need to do is join God in what He's doing in the world. I know it gets discouraging sometimes. 
I know sometimes we, we, we just we say, Lord, I, surely I should have it by now. Surely my marriage should be easy now. Now raising kids should be easy. It should be easy to live in this country and live in this kind of broken thing. It's never easy. We don't ever fully understand. Next Sunday's Palm Sunday. Love Palm Sunday because every year we focus in on the triumphal entry of Christ. And it gives me great comfort that the disciples who had been with him for three years in flesh still didn't have the first clue of what was going on that day. It encouraged me to know that many times I think I know, but I don't know. But he knows. If you are in a position, and most of us are, where you're thinking, I don't know why this is happening. I don't, I don't see the full blueprint here. I don't know where this is going. God does. And he's at work in the world. And he wants you to join him in that work. And that's what our text shows us. This is what our text shows us how to do. All right, let's all go to, uh, we're in Genesis 50. Let's go to the last four verses here in verses 22 through 26. Hope is going to read for us, so hope come on up. Let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. This is Genesis chapter 50. Yeah. And she's going to be in uh, verses 22 through 26. Hope if you would read that for us, please. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old. He embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. The Word of God. Thanks be to God. Well done, Hope. If you guys would go ahead and, and be seated. God is at work in the world. Now, to enjoy, and in order to join Him, three things you got to do. We've been saying this the whole series. you got to believe that God loves you. He's good. God loves you with an everlasting love, not based on what you've done, but based on what Jesus has done. The covenant God has made was made by God, and it is unbreakable. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 8, 38. And He's good. God is working all things for good, Romans 8, 28. To those who love Him have been called according to His purpose. So first thing you've got to believe is that God loves you, and He is good. Second thing you have to believe is that He's all-powerful. There's no limit to His might. There's nothing in creation that is, that is stronger than Him. Not you, not me, not anything. God has the power to accomplish His plan. you got to believe that He's good and that He loves you, that He's all-powerful. And the third thing, you have to take responsibility for your actions. You have to acknowledge His love and His goodness and His power and then submit yourself to His authority and follow when you do that, it positions you to accomplish God's plan for your life and the world. That's what Joseph did. Joseph wasn't always happy. It wasn't always easy. The Lord was at work. He's at work in your life and mine. Are we willing to join Him? What does it look like for someone to join God in the world? Three things that our text shows us. Take note of this. God is at work in the world through those that, first of all, spread His blessings. Look in verse 22. Joseph remained in Egypt. Why? Well, he had a 
He had a vocation. He had a responsibility. See, Joseph didn't want to necessarily be there. I, I don't know that Joseph liked his vocation. But that's not what God asks us. He doesn't ask us what you want. What God says, here's what I'm calling you to. I use the word vocation very, very purposefully. It's not a term we use very much anymore. And here's why. Because it's God-centered. Most of the time in our culture, we talk about a job or we talk about work. There's a difference between a job and a vocation. The word vocation comes from the Latin word voca, means calling. Most of the time when you hear people say, hey, I've got a calling, most people say clergy. No, no, no. If you're a disciple of Jesus, God has a calling on your life. You say, my calling, what's my calling? Well, it's where you work, where you learn, where you play, where you hang out. God has called you to be where you are to accomplish His purpose for your life. Well, what does that look like in practical terms? Jeremiah 29, 7 tells us. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. Look at this now. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. What is God doing in the world? He's taking what is dead and bringing it to life. He's, he's taking what is dark and He's bringing light into it, and we get to be a part of it. And so what our world needs is light and life. And as we pursue the welfare of our community and the world, we find our own. And you will never find happiness apart from fulfilling God's calling on your life, on your marriage, on your family, in your friendships, in the places where God has called you to be educated. It is there as you are fulfilling your calling, voca that you will discover God is at work. Joseph had a job he maybe didn't like, but he had a vocation that he was called to. And what happened there was he was able to provide for the entire region what they said was the world because there was a huge famine. And, and what you got to understand and think through is what was happening as that food was being passed out. Don't you know there were people from all over that region who were coming and they were pointing to Joseph and saying, who's that guy? And they said, oh, that's the guy that's in charge. What's his story? Well, he's a Hebrew. What's a Hebrew? Ah, it's a Semitic people. But some of the Semites. Oh, what's he doing here in charge? He can interpret dreams. His God speaks to him. And his God spoke to him, and Pharaoh's dream was interpreted, and now we've all been saved, and now his family is here, and God has provided salvation through this man for all of us. Through Joseph's vocation, it wasn't just the the physical needs of Egypt and the region that was prior for it was the spiritual needs because the gospel went forth because of his willingness to fulfill his calling where he worked, lived, and played. On top of that, he provided for his family. God blessed him to live 110 years. Now look at the text very closely. There, there are four generations represented here. We know that Ephraim, if you go back to Genesis 48, and we don't want to do the study in that, but go back to Genesis 48 at some point and see what happened to Ephraim. He was adopted basically by Jacob and received Jacob's blessing. So Manasseh, Manasseh and his children's children received the, the blessing of, of Joseph. And there's a lot of anyway, there's a lot of things that go into that. Let's not miss the main point. The main point is this. In his calling, not only did he seek to provide for the needs of the world, both physically and spiritually, he also provided for the needs of his family and to the future generations. Why did he do that? What, what, was, what was that about? 
Psalm 78. Write this one down and, and, and then go back and pay very close attention to it. Verses 5 and 7. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. We read this publicly twice a year at least at our family dedication services. And what we do there are the families, the parents say, we commit ourselves to raise our children to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we as a church family, in response to them, say, we will help you. And we commit to you that we will help raise your children to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. What are we doing there? We are committing to be a generation that passes on to the next generation, to the next generation, the next generation, the hope of the gospel of God. Friends, are you passing on the hope of the gospel of God to your children and grandchildren, to yourself? Your children are going to face difficulties. How will you help them negotiate those? You're helping them now. You're advising them now. Your children, your grandchildren, even yourself. See, the world is saying, get enough money, get enough power, get enough beauty, get enough stuff so that you feel empowered and have control. That's the way of the world. What does Jesus say? What does God say? Trust and obey the Lord Almighty. When the world falls apart, when there's brokenness, what's your explanation? When your children sin, when you sin, when your friends sin, when the world and all of its pain, when it occurs, how do you explain this? Do you share the gospel? We talk about this every week. Do you explain with one of the greatest teaching and parenting tools ever, the three circles? Can you? Most of you have a pen and some paper there, been provided. If you don't mind, draw three circles for me. If you're a guest or a visitor, you are. You don't have to turn yours in. We won't. We won't grade yours. You've been here more than a year. Uh, you can't leave until you get this right. So there are three circles, and, and this is the greatest parenting tool. This is the greatest friendship tool. This is the greatest thing you can use to to, to help explain what's going on. There's three circles. What's in the first one? God's design. God made all things to be in harmony. But things aren't in harmony, in harmony, are there? What's in the second circle? Brokenness. There's pain. And there's those squiggly lines that say if brokenness is being revealed in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of hurts, in all kinds of conflict and, 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 and suffering. But did God leave us there? No. What did He give us? The gospel, the good news. Now, how did we get from God's design to brokenness? What caused that? Sin. That's exactly right. So what we need to be able to say to our children is, the reason why there's brokenness in the world, the reason why there's conflict, the reason why there's death and pain, is because sin has entered the world. But God has not abandoned us in that pain and that brokenness. Instead, God Himself has entered into that. And He has taken the punishment for our sin. He has overcome our greatest enemy, death. And now we can have that eternal life. But what do we have to do with the gospel in order to be transformed? Two words. What do you have to do? Repent and believe. And if you repent and believe the gospel, you're now free to pursue and recover God's design. And that's where your happiness is found. So every week we put up these three circles. Explain these to your children. Explain these to your friends. When they talk about the world is a broken place, do you believe Virginia got beat? 
the world is a broken place. <laughs> the, the better team doesn't always win, right? When they see war, when they see cancer, when they see suicide, when they see death and confusion, where'd that come from? Sin. What's the good news? The gospel. Christ has come, and if we will turn away from self-sufficiency, we can get this life and we can pursue and recover God's design. Friends, we must pass this on to every generation. We must tell our children, and they must tell their children, and they must tell their children. This is what this is what Joseph did. He, he was able to spread the blessing of God. He was able to say, look what God has done. Look what God is doing. Understand, God is at work in the world through those that, 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 first of all, spread His blessings, but secondly, know His story. Know His story. Know history. You look at what He said in verse 24. Do you know why He said that? He said to them, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up. I'm going to take you back to that in just a second. Out of this land to the land, He swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Where did He get this? How did he know that there would be a time that God would come and take the people out of Egypt back to the promised land? If you haven't underlined this in your Bible yet, if you're not familiar with this, uh, go now to Genesis chapter 15 and underline this prophecy. It's very important. Genesis chapter 15, beginning in verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abram, this is uh, Jacob's great and his, his grandfather, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, that's Egypt. And be servants there, and they will be afflicted. They were slaves, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. That's how long Israel was in slavery in Egypt. But I will bring judgment on that nation and they, that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, 400 years for the iniquity of the Amorites. God was yet, uh, yet to, to work in that, was going to bring judgment. It has not yet completed. Their sin was not yet to the point where he was going to bring the final judgment that, that he brings on, on all those who turn their backs on him. See, why was Joseph saying, hey, listen, when God visits you, take me up. I'm going with you. Because he knew the story of God. He knew that God had promised, yes, there will, be, there will be slavery for 400 years for our people, but then God is going to bring you up. Now, I want to show you something. In your text, look in verse 24, it says, but God will visit you. Now, that, that word, that single word is actually not just a single word. The, 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 the Hebrew in it is, is pakod, 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 basically. What is he saying here? And I couldn't find a translation that, that does it twice. What he's saying is, when, the God, when God visits you to visit you, when God intervenes to intervene for you, when God interrupts to interrupt you, this is what salvation is. See, what, what, what the promise in Genesis 15 did is it told the people there's going to be a point after 400 years when God is going to show up. There's going to be a supernatural, miraculous appearing of God in time and space. And when he enters that time and space, he's going to enter into you with a personal covenant relationship. Isn't that powerful? And so what, 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 what Joseph is saying is, God's not done. He's going to keep his promise because Joseph knew the story. I 
you to remember one of the earlier times in my life when God visited me to visit me. When he intervened to intervene. It was early June 1988. I was mowing the grass in West Nashville. I could take it to the very spot. And I had to turn the mower off to tell God no. I thought I heard the laughter in heaven, but I didn't know how to translate it at that point. Two weeks later, when the police officers dropped me off, the answer was yes. Yes, Lord, whatever you want. And I was saved. And can I tell you, since that time, he has visited me to visit me. He has intervened to intervene. He did this week. He does in my life over and over. And so he does in all all, all of his children's lives, all of those who are disciples of Jesus. He interrupts our life to interrupt our life. He intervenes in our life to intervene to bring about his salvation. And what Joseph is saying is, guys, God's not done. But, but even beyond that, I love this. And then, oh, uh, do we have time? Yes, okay. Write it down. God is at work through, through those that trust His promises. There's a trust here because Joseph is making plans for 400 years from now. Can I tell you the most important plans that you're making for your life right now are at least 400 years old or more. Are you planning that far in advance? You need to be. You know, you want to know why? Because those are just going to be the early moments of all eternity for you. So, so Joseph is looking ahead, and he's, and he's living his life, and he's making a decision in, in light of this. And so it says again, look at verse 25, God will surely visit you. He will visit you to visit you. And, and, shall, and, and look what happens here. And you shall carry my bones from here. What is he saying? Don't miss this. He's saying, that there's going to be a time when God is going to return and take His people and take them out of bondage into the eternal, into the promised land. Now, look at, look what happens here. Look at this last part. I want to preach a whole sermon just on this phrase, but we don't have time. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. someday I'm going to I'm going to preach a sermon called "In a Coffin in Egypt." Not today. We're out of time. I know. But look, they involved him and he put him in a coffin. Now, remember his dad had the same situation. They embalmed him, put him in a coffin. But remember, they took him back immediately to the promised land where he was buried with Joseph's mom. But not Joseph. I can imagine there was confusion on the part of his brothers and, and the Egyptian leadership. Hearing this, thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, we need to get ready for a trip to Promised Land. He'll probably want to be uh, married, uh, buried with his mom and dad. Nope. He said, in a coffin in Egypt. Why? Because he had put his trust in the Lord. And he knew there was going to be a day when the Lord would come and take them home. That there would be, if you will, a resurrection. So there is this moment in the life of God's people when, when they would need to remember Joseph's coffin. So you're in Genesis 50. Go over to Exodus chapter 1. Just go over one chapter. You're right there. Verse 8, it says that there came a time when there was a Pharaoh who didn't know Joseph. And now the people were being persecuted. Don't you know in that difficult day there were those who said, Ah, but remember Joseph's coffin. It makes me laugh to think about the family that was put 
and made responsible for Joseph's coffin for 400 years. I can't keep up with a laptop. I've lost this twice this morning. They would not put me in charge of Joseph's coffin for 400 years, I can assure you, all right? But they kept up with it. Why? Because God left Joseph there, and Joseph obeyed God and trusted God to be left there, knowing there was going to be a time when God was going to come and take his people home. So go now from Exodus 1, go to Exodus 13. Exodus 13, verse 19. I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 13, verse 19. And I just love this, because now it's time. They're, they're going to the promised land, and it says that Moses remembered to grab Joseph's coffin. Aren't they, aren't they so glad for that? And I'll tell you why they were so glad for that. Because, as you well know, we know the full story now, that having been saved and taken on their way to the promised land, they sinned, and so now they're 40 years in the desert. How many times did they get discouraged and want to quit and want to walk away? And someone would say, but don't forget Joseph's coffin. Don't you remember the promise of God? He promised he would take us home. He promised that he would come back and get us. He promised. G. Campbell Morgan, one of the great preachers of England, says this, the man of God has not finished his work in the world when they put him in a coffin. What's your legacy? See, when you're done, people are going to talk about you. What will they say? Well, they say, oh, my goodness, did they complain? My goodness, did they make some, some terrible decisions? Or, or might they say, you know, they weren't perfect. But you know what? They kept talking about their hope in God. See, we don't have a coffin. You know what we say to each other? We smile at each other and we say, the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. Why do we say that? We know because the tomb is empty that Jesus has been raised. And because Jesus has been raised as promised, we know he'll keep that other promise that he's going to return and take us home to the promised land. Did you believe that? Isn't that good? So, I don't know if you were watching this the other day, but I'm watching this whole thing with Billy Graham. And he made such a big deal about his coffin. Why? spoke of his legacy. Do you know, did you see, did you see some of the pictures, you see the footage where people are literally standing on a street waiting for the hearse to go by where the coffin was in there. They wanted to see the coffin. Why? Because it spoke of the man's legacy. What is your life going to speak of? I've, I've been in a cemetery three times this month already. Yesterday I saw um, I see it often. It's just right off the side of Lover's Lane. I, I walk next to uh, Lana Chilton's headstone yesterday. Lana's a godly woman. This week I was, I was, I was reminded that uh, when Lana died, she died of cancer. She was, oh, she served over so faithfully. I was reminded that it was in her late 40s when she passed away. And I, I know it doesn't appear this way, but I'm almost in my late 40s, y'all. I know what it looked like, but you know. And I thought, what a legacy. Her coffin still speaks. But here's, here's what I'm real excited about. There's going to be a day. <laughs> All right, we got to go. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, because you won't believe me if you don't see it in the Bible. And you shouldn't. You shouldn't believe this unless it's in the Bible, but it's too good. I, I know you're hungry, but quickly, come on, go quick. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 
there's going to come a day when there's going to be this unbelievable sound. It's so loud, it's like a trumpet. And, and when that happens, the dead in Christ, only those who are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, their tomb, where their ashes are, where their body was in the ocean, is going to come up in a resurrected body. And those of us who are still here, we're going to look up in the sky, and it's going to look like clouds, but it's not clouds. We're going to see coming down all the saints, all the souls of the saints who are in the heavens with God now, with all the angelicals, all the angels of heaven. They will be coming down. Why? Because those bodies that are coming up are being raised. And that body that's been raised, holy and perfect like the body of Jesus, that soul is going to come. And, and that soul is going to be clothed in a resurrected body. And then it says that we who are in Christ, then we will be raised. And we will be taken up in the clouds with them. And we will be with the Lord. Look what it says in verse 78. We will be with the Lord forever. And then the last part of that. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The coffin of Joseph was an encouragement that God was going to visit them, to visit them, to take them home. And that they needed to be faithful no matter what they went through to trust in the plan of God that was at work in the world. And so must we. Christ is going to return. And we have a responsibility to live our lives in light of His return. He's at work in the world right now. Yeah, it gets messy, but we can trust Him because He, he loves us. He's good. He's all-powerful. And all we got to do is follow Him. Are you following Jesus? What He's not saying to you is, hey, go out there and do whatever makes you happy, and I'll give you a thumbs up. It's not what He says. God says, I've got the plan. Obey me. Trust me, and there will be good. Do you? Yeah. Do you trust Jesus? Do you? Are you living in obedience to Jesus? Are you living in light of what will be happening 400 years, 4,000 years from now? Is your comfort to hear someone whisper? tomb is empty. He's coming again. Friends, if not, today is the day you need to be visited. I told you years ago, the Lord visited me and I told him no. It's system. The day I told him yes, it's the best day of my life. Some of you today, you need to come and get on your knees and you need to say, Lord Jesus, yes, forgive me, take my life. Some of you are disciples of Jesus, and you've been telling God, no, you need to repent. You've been telling God that you're going to do what you want to do your way. Stop. Stop right now. Go get on your knees and say, God, I'm done running from you. I'm ready to join you. Whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. And some of you need help. Come ask for it. He's a good God. The tomb is empty. We can come to the Father in Jesus' name and the power of the Spirit. He has the plan. Come ask for Him to give you the strength to do it, to follow Him. Let's stand together as we pray. Lord Jesus, I love this text. I, there's so much more here, but Lord, enough has been said. Now it's time for the response. Now we need to say, I will follow. 
where you are leading, we are saying we will follow. And, and some, this is the first time, they need to come get on their knees right now for the first time and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me and take over my life. I want to follow you. I know you're alive. I know you've been raised. The tomb is empty. I know you're coming back. I want to live in light of that. There's some here today, Lord Jesus, they need your leadership. They need your help. Hear them as they come to acknowledge their need trust you to ask for your help. Thank you, Lord, that you hear us. Thank you that you're working. You're visiting us to visit us right now. Meet with us, Lord. Come and praise. We sing together.